Let's read Psalm 139 together. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The text that we consider together on this occasion of preparatory is the last two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the prayer found in these last two verses of the psalm on first glance might seem a little bit odd to us when we have just read the first part of the psalm. 
I say that because in the first few verses of the psalm, we read the words, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought far off. And really, the whole psalm is a song of praise to God for His knowledge. For the knowledge that He has. For His omniscience. For the glorious fact that God knows absolutely everything that there is to know in the universe. It's a psalm of praise to God for His penetrating and comprehensive knowledge of me. That He knows everything about me. There isn't anything about me that He doesn't know. He knows my thoughts. He knows my words. He knows my paths. He knows everything I do and everywhere I go. and He has known everything about me since the very moment of my conception. Indeed, I was fearfully and wonderfully made by God in the secret place of my mother's womb. And in that place where no one else could see anything at all, God saw everything. When my members were not even yet fully developed, God saw it all and knew it all. And so why would the psalmist conclude this song of praise to God for His knowledge by asking God to search Him and to know Him, to examine Him and to see whether there be any wicked way in Him? Well, we see obviously right away that it's not an invitation for God to try to find out things about me that He doesn't know yet. Rather, this prayer of the psalmist is a petition that God will search me in order to show me things that I don't know yet about myself. Because whereas God knows everything about me already, I don't know everything about myself. And so I pray, search me, O God, and make known to me what is within. We consider the text for preparatory tonight as we look forward to taking the Lord's Supper next week. We all know that in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul exhorts us to examine ourselves and in that way to partake of the Lord's Supper. Not in any other way, but in this way that we examine ourselves. But we have all experienced the great difficulty of doing that. And the difficulty of examining our hearts is not only that our hearts are very deep. Indeed, our hearts are filled with these vast corridors with seemingly endless chambers. And to search out all of those pathways and chambers of the heart sometimes seems overwhelming. But that's not only the case, also this, that it is impossible for us to search our hearts by nature. To search our hearts properly because we are born in sin with a sinful nature. We are born blind by nature. Which means that as soon as we begin to search, we don't see anything out of place. And although now 
We have been regenerated and given a new man in Christ so that we are able to properly search and examine ourselves, yet we still have that old man which tries to drag us down and blind us again. And so it is a great struggle. And I am sure that every time there's preparatory and we read that form, once again, you too are struck by the great difficulty of examining ourselves. And yet, we do want to know what is within us as Christians. We want to know. Because we want to put off sin and walk in righteousness. And so, we come to the Lord. And we ask Him to search us. And we ask Him to examine us. And to make known to us what is in our hearts. That's what we consider tonight a prayer for God to examine my life. First of all, we notice this is a searching of my heart. Secondly, an examination of my ways. And finally, a desire for the way everlasting. Do we know what is in our hearts? Do you know what is in your heart? And do I? The psalmist teaches us by example to pray, Search me, O God, and know my heart. My heart here does not refer to my physical heart, but my spiritual heart, which is the deepest well of my soul. It is the deepest place of my spirit. It is that deep, deep place within me, which is the seat of all of my beliefs, my true personal beliefs and values and affections and desires and thoughts. They all rise up out of that deep well of the heart. And the heart is very deep, as we said before. A man and a woman rarely knows the depths of his own heart. Rarely do we understand fully the motives and the reasons why we do the things we do, why we behave the way we do, why we say the things we do. We don't always understand our own hearts very well. But God knows. He knows your heart and my heart better than we do. He knows our hearts Perfectly, with a perfect and comprehensive and penetrating knowledge. He knows every corridor and every chamber and every motive and every thought. And so we are taught to pray, search me, search me, O God. Search the innermost depths of my heart and know me and show me what is in there that I too may know. And then the psalmist goes on and he says, try me and know my thoughts or examine me. Investigate, scrutinize, examine my thoughts. Our thoughts are those ideas and those purposes and plans that rise up out of our hearts and that rise up out of our minds. Interestingly, the word for thoughts in the text can also carry the idea of anxiety. Examine me and know my anxieties. Know my concerns, my fears, 
The swirling emotions that are deep inside my heart. The fearful thoughts. The confusion and the concerns that sometimes we can't understand. Do we know why we feel the way we feel? Do we know always why we are anxious? Why we are worried? Why we are fearful about something? Many times we don't. But the Lord knows. He knows every cause and effect, every spiritual root and fruit. He knows everything about us. So we are taught to pray, examine me and know my thoughts and show unto me what are my thoughts and why am I having these thoughts? Will we make this prayer? Let's understand what this prayer really means and what it really is. When David ends Psalm 139 with this prayer to the Lord, he is not challenging the Lord. This prayer is not a dare. David is not challenging the Lord out of a proud and defiant heart. David is not saying to the Lord, search me and see if you can find anything wrong in me. Because David is so confident that there's nothing wrong within him. Sometimes a child or a young person might become defiant that way. Perhaps a child or a young person has been given a cell phone and he uses that cell phone in his day-to-day life. And his parents sometimes ask him if he is using it properly and how he is using it, and what is he looking at on that cell phone. And maybe the young person in his defiance says to his parent, here, take it. Search my cell phone. Examine the things that I have been doing. And you'll see that there's nothing to see in there. There's nothing wrong. I haven't been doing anything wrong. But the fact is, he has been doing some things that aren't good on that phone. And yet, in his pride, And in his defiance, he is confident that he has so well hidden and deleted all the history of the bad things he has done that his parents will never ever be able to find the things that he did wrong. And so he proudly says, have a look, search, examine. You won't find anything. That's not the idea of this prayer. Rather, just the opposite. This prayer is arising out of the humble and contrite heart of the child of God who knows that there is ugliness within. Who knows that there is sinfulness inside of him. And yet, he prays that God will search him and know him. It arises out of the humble heart, you see, because the humble heart will make this prayer The child of God who knows that there is ugliness and sinfulness inside him. If he is proud, he will refuse to make this prayer. Because he doesn't want God to search him. He doesn't want God to make known to him what is in there. He wants to live in ignorance is bliss. He wants to go on in his sinful habits and his sinful ways. He doesn't want God to bring them to light to his own consciousness. But the humble, contrite spirit of the child of God who knows that there is ugliness, who knows that there is wickedness within him, 
makes this prayer, but he not only knows the specific ugliness in there, he also knows that there are depths of that sinfulness that I'm not aware of. The child of God knows that there are sins in my heart and in the the deep corridors of my mind that are below the threshold of my consciousness. They don't even come up to the level of my awareness. But I believe they're there. I believe there are sins in the hidden and secret places of my heart to which I'm blind because of the proud pride of my heart. And in his humility, he wants the Lord to uncover those sins. To bring them to the light of his own consciousness. So that he may know what they are. So that he may repent of them. That's the meaning of this prayer. Psalm 19 verse 12 is very similar. Where the psalmist writes, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Who can truly understand the weakness and the infirmities that are within his own soul? Cleanse me, O Lord, from secret faults. Are we ready to make that prayer? Will you make that prayer about yourself? We would make this a part of our daily devotions. For example, in your morning devotions, you make this petition every day for several weeks or several months. Earnestly. Sincerely. Praying that God will uncover to us our hidden and secret sins. God will show you. And have your journal ready with your pen in hand so that when the Lord uncovers it to you, you're ready to record. These are the things that God has shown me. These are the things that I'm thinking. These are the patterns of of thought in my mind and in my heart. Are we going to make this prayer? Then we ought to be prepared for God to answer us. We better be prepared for Him to answer us. If we're not ready for God to really search out the depths of our hearts and make known to us what is in there, we better not make this prayer. Because if we make this prayer with all sincerity, God will show us what is in there. God might make known to us by someone else telling us and showing to us what they observe. Or God might bring it up to the threshold of our consciousness as we meditate and reflect upon our thoughts and our desires. And God might say to us, I have searched you and I see that there's still a lot of unbelief in that heart. I still see a lot of unbelief there. I see that on a regular basis you are questioning whether I even exist. Questioning whether I'm truly good and just and holy. 
I see that you're questioning on a regular basis whether I have really sent my Son to die on the cross for you as I have told you countless times that I have done for you. I see doubtful thoughts, unbelieving thoughts, and therefore I also see anxious thoughts and fearful thoughts because as you take your eyes away from Jesus, I see that fear creeps up again and again in your soul. That once in a while when you think about death, you become afraid. And when you think about hell, you become afraid. And when you think about falling into the hands of an angry God, you become afraid. Because you're taking your eyes off of Christ. You might tell us that. If we make this prayer, God might show us that He sees a lot of anger in our life. He sees patterns of anger. Constant, habitual responses to the people and the things and the experiences in our life of anger, of wrath. That in our hearts and in our souls become filled with anger at our husband, anger at our wife, anger at our children, our parents, our brothers and sisters in the church. So that every time they do this little thing or that little thing, we're triggered to an angry response. God might show us that. If we make this prayer, search me, O Lord, and know my heart, He might say, yes, I've searched your heart and I see a lot of lust in that heart. A lot of lust. A lot of sexual perversity. A lot of looking at a woman or a man who is not your spouse and lusting after them and committing adultery with them in your heart. See a lot of that. God might tell us, I see a lot of covetousness in your heart. I see that on a regular basis, you're looking over the fence at your neighbor, envious of him, envious of his life or her life, their possessions, their experiences, their vacations, their marriage, their family. So that this envious monster has grown within you. God might say, I've searched your heart. I've looked down into the nooks and crannies and corridors of your soul and i found that an awful lot of what you do is motivated by greed. The love of money is the root of a lot of evil in your life. Or God might say to us, I see in your heart still a lot of love for this world, for the pleasures of this world, for the thrills of this world, and I don't see a lot of love for me. Or God might show us that He sees a lot of pride in our hearts. That like the Pharisee in the parable, we go up to church and we give thanks to God that we are not as other men are. Lustful, greedy, covetous, angry people. We're not like that. Thieves, extortioners. Because we come to church twice every Sunday and give our offerings and give our prayers to God. 
God might say to us, I see a lot of pride in that heart yet. Are we ready to make this prayer? When we make this prayer, we have to be ready for God to show us our sin and ready to repent. But there's more. The psalmist goes on to say, verse 24, And see if there be any wicked way in me. See if there be any wicked way in me. The first part of the prayer focuses on the heart and the thoughts, the anxieties, the doubts within. But the psalmist goes on to pray with regard to the ways that are outside. The ways of life. So if the heart is the deepest well of our soul from which come forth all of our motives, all of the reasons for why we do what we do, our, our, our values and affections and beliefs and desires and thoughts, then our ways are the decisions we make and the actions that we take and the behaviors and the patterns of behavior in our life. Those are our ways. And all of us has a way, and that way is the way of our whole life But in that way of our life, there are many different ways. There's the way of our private life. The way that we make decisions and actions and and behaviors in our private life when no one else is around, when no one else is looking. The ways in our married life. The way that we behave to our husband and the way that we behave to our wife. The words we speak to them. The things we do to them. There's a way of life in our family, the way we deal with our children, the way we react to them, the way we treat them, the way we talk to them. There's a way of life in the workplace, in the office, in the field, on the road, the way we talk to our co-workers, the way we treat our neighbors. There's a way in the church. Maybe the way we behave outside of the church is one way and the way we behave in the church is another way. There are all these ways. Every single one of these ways has a beginning. It has development. And it has an end. All of these ways begin in our heart. They begin from our experiences when we were children. They begin in the things we were taught by our parents. They begin long ago, many of these ways. But they've developed, they have progressed throughout our life. And they have become habitual ways. They have become patterns of behavior and patterns of decision making. And all of these ways have an end. And if they are wicked ways, the end is destruction. The end of every wicked way is destruction. Every single one. Hell lies at the end of it. The word wicked in the text means literally hurtful or painful or grievous. The ways of wickedness are 
hurtful and grievous ways. Every way of wickedness is. It's hurtful, first of all, to the sinner. We often think that we can walk in these ways and nobody is hurt. But what about ourselves? We're hurting ourselves when we walk in wicked ways. We bring upon ourselves the heavy hand of God. And God will chasten us with broken relationships and lost jobs and all kinds of pain and sorrow in our family, in our marriage, in our congregation, and sometimes even on a denominational level. Wicked ways result in pain, chastening, grievousness. But they also cause pain to others. Wicked ways are selfish ways. And those ways invariably result in hurt to others. We hurt our husband or wife. We hurt our children or parents. We hurt our brother and sister in the church by our wicked ways. Do we know what our wicked ways are? Can we go home tonight and sit down with that journal and take up the pen and write down not the wicked ways of everyone else in the church, but my wicked ways. Mine. That's self-examination. God knows them. He knows every single one of our wicked ways. But often we don't know. We do know. We know many of them. Probably most of them, but there are wicked ways that we perhaps don't know. God knows. And so we are to pray, O God, see if there be any wicked way in me. And tell me, tell me what it is. Tell me through my wife, or tell me through my husband, or tell me through my own recognition of that wicked way. Will we make that prayer? Once again, we have to be ready to hear God's answer. God will show us what that wicked way is. God might show us that just as I have seen in your heart unbelieving thoughts, so I see that those unbelieving thoughts are leading to a certain wicked way in your life. That rather than believing in me and believing in Jesus, You're making decisions in your life that arise out of a trust in man. Trust in the creature. Trust in technology. Trust in money. You're making decisions and you have patterns that are wicked because they arise out of unbelief. God might say that just as I see much anger in your heart, I see that that anger leads to the wicked way that you're constantly yelling. Shouting, screaming at the people who you're angry at. Or that you give them the evil eye. Or a bitter word or a sarcastic comment to express your anger and your bitterness. I see that you have abusive behaviors in the way that you treat others. 
You torment them. You oppress them. You treat them as if they're the dirt under your feet. That's a wicked way. God might say to us that just as I see that there is bitterness in your heart, I also see this, that you withhold love from the person that you're bitter against. Whereas you should be loving them, you're not loving them because you're bitter. Whereas you should go to them, you should tell them how much you love them, you should do things to show that love for them. You're withholding that love because you're bitter. God might show us that just as He sees lust in our heart, He sees the wicked way that we are looking at pornography. We're engaging in sexual perverse actions. He might tell us that just as there's envy in our heart, we also speak evil of our neighbor. Just as there's love of the world in our heart, so also there is a pursuit after pleasure and position. You might see a wicked way in what we choose to watch on our televisions, what we choose to listen to for music, how much alcohol we regularly ingest, how we use our money. Are we ready for God to show us those things? We're ready if we're ready to change as well. If we're not ready to change, then we're not ready to make this prayer. And we ought to be ready to change all the time. Because we need to keep changing until we die. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind until you die. And so the text calls us to humbly make the petition for God to search our hearts and our ways and to show them to us so that we may repent. But finally, the psalmist ends with this prayer. Lead me in the way everlasting. The way everlasting is Christ. He is the way. The way to everlasting life in heaven with God. Jesus is that way because Jesus is the only individual in the whole history of the world who is truly God and truly man and perfectly righteous. He is the only individual who could make the prayer of the psalm. Search me, O God, and examine my heart. And who could be found to be perfectly, absolutely pure within. He's the only one who could be searched in all of the corridors of his heart. In the deepest motives of his soul. 
and not be found there one single spot or blemish. He's the only one who can open up his life to the omniscient, all-seeing, all-knowing God and be declared righteous in himself, holy in himself, perfectly sinless in all of his thoughts and desires and motives and ways. And Christ was perfectly righteous on the whole of his way. From the manger to the grave. Every step that he took on that way. His private life. His family life. His church life. All of his life. All of his ways. He was perfectly righteous. He's the only one. And in between the manger and the grave was the cross standing there. In the way of Jesus. And Jesus, the perfectly righteous and holy one, walked on that path to the cross. And there on the cross, gave his perfectly holy heart to be broken, to be shattered under the heavy wrath and indignation of the God who eternally loves him but who in that moment of the cross God caused him to experience utter forsakenness. The cross. He gave himself at the end of his way as a sacrifice of infinite love for us. To satisfy the justice of God against all our sins. And he accomplished it at the end of his way. And arose from the dead. Jesus is the way. The everlasting way. The way to everlasting life. And there is no other. Lead me in the way everlasting. That's our prayer. Lead me to Jesus. Lead me in Jesus. And lead me through Jesus to the everlasting courts of heaven, O Lord. That I might, by faith in Him, enjoy sweet forgiveness and powerful grace to put off all my sinful thoughts and ways. So that's the prayer. And when we climax by seeing Jesus in that prayer, then we can understand the whole thing from a new perspective. And it takes on a whole new meaning. We can come to God now and say, Oh, Heavenly Father, search me and know me and make known to me that I'm a believer. Search me, oh God, and see within the deepest well of my heart that gift of faith that Thou hast put there. And make known to me that I believe, I believe, I'm a believer. Believe that faithful promise that all my sins are forgiven me for the sake of the bitter and shameful death of Christ. Examine me, O Lord, and make known to me that within me is a true love for Thee. That I do love Thee, Lord. I do resolve from this time forward to walk in true thankfulness and gratitude in obedience to all of Thy commandments I want to show my love for Thee, Lord. Make that known to me. 
God will show you that too. That's the prayer of self-examination. By making that prayer for God to search me and show me my sins, but also to search me and show me my faith, to search me and show me my resolve to live a thankful life. He will show you that. And what He will show you is not that you are a worthy partaker of the Lord's Supper in yourself, but on the contrary, considering that we seek our life outside of ourselves in Christ, He will show you that He has made you a worthy partaker. In Christ. And in Christ alone. So make this prayer. Make it sincerely. Before the face of God. Every day this week. And come. To the supper of our Lord. In remembrance. Of what he has done. For you. Amen. Gracious God and heavenly father. Give thanks to Thee for Thy Word once again. Search us and examine our hearts and our ways. And make known to us, Father, that we are Thy children. That although we are great sinners and we continue in sin, yet we also hate and flee from our sin. And we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ And in this way we pray, may we come in confidence to thy supper next Sunday and receive the comforting signs and seals of the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.